So where we left off last week, where we left off last week is cardiovascular risk factors. We talked about the major non-modifiable, the major modifiable, and then what we call novel or new risk factors. We uh, talked a bit about the, circum- the coronary arteries, which ones are which and what part of the heart they perfuse. All right, now, myocardial ischemia. When blood flow is impeded, it can be either absolute or relative. What does relative mean? Now, when we think of someone who has stable angina, what they have is a relative impedance. It's, imp- it's impeded a little bit, but not enough to cause damage unless the patient increases their oxygen demand. So when does that patient feel chest pain? So when they exert themselves or when they get excited. And that excited could be in a bad way as well as a good way. We talked about the causes, atherosclerosis and vasospasm, as well as low blood pressure, especially shock, dysrhythmias, anemia and problems with um, uh, perfusing the lungs and getting oxygen into the lungs in the first place. We talked about supply-demand considerations, things that affect oxygen supply, things that affect oxygen demand. And this is where we ended up, I think. Um, When myocardial ischemia occurs, working cells, and the key here is working cells, what does the heart normally do? contracts. So cells that are still contracting remain viable for up to 20 minutes. What will happen is anaerobic mechanisms will kick in, which causes lactic acid. There'll be free radical damage, especially when oxygen returns to the area, and that can cause the dysrhythmias that later kill a person. We've begun talking about the differences between stable angina, Prince metal, silent, and unstable angina. What is stable angina caused by? Stable lesions. Atherosclerotic plaques that have grown so big that they impede blood flow. When a person exerts themselves, they feel chest pain. And maybe shortness of breath and some other stuff. How do we treat it? Rest or nitrates? What's the most common nitrate you're going to use? Nitroglycerin. How are you going to give it to them? Sublingual. So is it going to go, is it going to get um, absorbed into the bloodstream and then go into the liver? Why not? Okay, because it's not getting absorbed in the stomach and the intestines, so it's not going to go to the liver. It's going to go directly into the bloodstream and will not pass through the liver first. So, Do not have the patient swallow it. They have to suck on it until it dissolves. dissolves. Prinz metal angina is caused by vasospasm. And what do we treat treat it with? Something that would prevent coronary vasospasm, perhaps? So what drugs do we know that dilate arteries? Beta blockers, no. Say again? 
Not ACTZ. What? Well, catecholamines will constrict. So what would block catecholamines besides beta blockers? Alpha. Alpha blockers. What else? That's not what we use to treat it, though. That'll just base. That's just the vasodilating. ACE inhibitors and calcium channel blockers. Those are your three vasodilators that we've already talked about. Which one of those are we going to use to treat Prinz metal angina? Calcium channel blockers. Silent ischemia. What does that look like? Nothing. Person doesn't know they have it. And then unstable angina. What is unstable angina? Well, it is caused by a complicated lesion, but what is it? How would we know a patient has it? Okay, so stable angina occurs when a person exerts themselves and is relieved by rest. Unstable angina happens either when the person at, is at rest or happens when the patient exerts themselves but does not go away with rest or with nitrates. So, so there's two things. Say, say what you're going to say. No, so like if you're doing a um, stress test and it starts to slow down, that's when that would be a stable? Not exactly. You're close, though. So there's two ways it can happen. Kelly's sitting here, minding her own business. Ah, my chest hurts. That would be considered unstable angina. T goes over here. She gets worked up about something. Her chest starts hurting. So, hey, sit down, calm down, relax a moment. It doesn't go away. Unstable angina. Kim's over here, runs up the stairs, gets some chest pain. Here, have nitroglycerin. Doesn't go away. Unstable angina. And what causes unstable angina? Complicated lesion. What is a complicated lesion? So it's when an atherosclerotic plaque ruptures and the juicy fatty center spills out into the blood. And what does that cause? Well, it's called a complicated lesion, but it, calls, it causes clots. <sighs> okay. Now, if we have a person who has unstable angina, they've got chest pain and it's, it's at rest, it doesn't go away with nitroglycerin, how are we going to evaluate that person? History and physical. Lipids, blood pressure, risk factors, electrocardiogram, stress test, angiography, unstable. All right, now, all of this stuff, history and physical, the lipids, ECG, stress test, angiography, those are things you can do for someone who does not currently have chest pain. If they currently have chest pain, you have to rule them in or out for MI first. Why? Why do they have the chest pain in the first place? Okay. There's not enough oxygen compared to the amount of demand. How do we do a stress test? Increased demand. Is that going to make the problem worse? Yes. So you can actually kill someone by accident if you give them a stress test while they're currently having chest pain. So the first thing, if they're currently having the chest pain, especially if it's unstable, we have to rule them out for MI. If they're ruled 
out for MI, then you can give them the stress test. If they're ruled in for MI, you have to get them over the MI first before you can give them the stress test. Does that make sense? Do you think you might have a question asking you about that content somewhere on your test? Maybe. All right, treatment of stable angina. This is the person who, you know, they exert themselves and they get excited, they get the chest pain, and then it will go away if they rest or are treated. We can use nitrates. What will nitrates do? How do nitrates work? What are nitrates? I thought you put those in hot dogs as a preservative. I thought nitroglycerin was like an explosive. <laughs> All right, well, as it turns out, nitroglycerin causes dilation. It causes dilation of two things. It causes dilation of veins, and it causes dilation of large arteries, but not arterioles. So if you, if you vasodilate veins, what's going to happen? Okay. So there'll be less blood coming back to the heart, and that's called reducing what? Reducing preload. When you reduce preload, what happens to contractility? It also goes down because you're not pulling the slingshot back as much. And what's, what's that law called? Starling's law of the heart. Now, in expanding the arteries... It also helps cardiac output, but it's complicated, so don't worry about it. What you do need to know about it is that when you have uh, arteries in your head dilating, what do you get? Headache. So what do you think a major, what do you think the two major side effects of nitroglycerin is going to be? Headache and low blood pressure, which can lead to dizziness. So when you give nitroglycerin, how do you give it? Under the tongue. Before you give it, what should you do? Take blood pressure. Take blood pressure. After you give it, how long do you wait before you know it worked? Five minutes. After five minutes, what do you do? Check the blood pressure and the patient's pain. Oh, it still hurts. Then what do you do? Give it again. All right. And how, how long are you going to wait after that? Five more minutes. And then what are you going to do? Check the pain and the blood pressure again. And now, if it's still hurting, now what do you do? Do it again! Most hospitals are going to say three times. Three times. So you give them nitroglycerin, nitroglycerin, nitroglycerin. What do you do each time? Check the blood pressure. What happens if their blood pressure starts bottoming out? You can't give them the next dose. And then you really need to call the physician immediately. If the pain goes away with three applications, do you need to call the physician? No. Usually not. You can give nitro without uh, Well, this would be just like a standing order. Or if the patient's admitted with a, with a history of chest pain, a lot of times they'll have an order for that. So you can typically give up to three without calling the physician. If it still doesn't go away, typically what will be ordered is morphine and then call the physician. Um, all right, so that's nitroglycerin. What are the two major side effects? Headache and blood pressure. What do you do about the headache? Not aspirin. 
Usually you give them Tylenol. We want to avoid caffeine in this particular patient at the moment. Beta blockers. How do beta blockers prevent? How do beta blockers prevent angina? They slow heart rate and contractility. What, do that, what does that do to a myocardial demand? Decreases it. So the patient's heart doesn't work as hard. That way they can't get the angina. Beta blockers are not used to treat existing, like, oh, it hurts right now. You don't give them the beta blocker for that. But you use the beta blocker to prevent it from coming back. Calcium channel blockers, how do they work? Well, the answer is it Depends, yes. What does it depend on? It depends on the type of what? No, not on the type of angina. It depends on the type of calcium channel blocker. How many types are there? Two. What are they? Dihydros and non-dihydros. The dihydros end in depene. It's dihydropyridine, so they all end in depene. So amlodipine, also known as norvasc. Does it affect arteries or the heart? Arteries. The, what are the other two called? What are their names? What are the non-dihydros called? They're, they have a name. Diltiazem and verapamil. You, you got to memorize those, by the way. They're on your must-know drug list, and they will most definitely be on your final. Amlodipine is the dihydro you have to know, and then verapamil and diltiazem are the non-dihydros you have to know. We learned this during the blood pressure. Yes, I'm absolutely sure. Yes, ma'am. Alpha blockers are vasodilators, but they're not what you use to treat it. Right. I was just trying to get us to list the three vasodilators that we knew at that point. I see that Amanda has got you wearing skulls too now. Okay. All right, calcium channel blockers. So verapamil and diltiazem, how are they different from amlodipine? What do we say amlodipine affects? Arteries or heart? Arteries. So which one do the non-dihydros affect? The heart and arteries. That is a trick question. So the, dihydro, the dihydropyridines like Norvasc, cause vasodilation, which can increase blood flow to the heart. Diltiazem and verapamil can also do that, but in addition, they also reduce contractility of the heart, which lowers oxygen demand. So they do it in two ways. Very special. All right, then uh, we can also treat the underlying disease. By treating atherosclerosis, we can actually make those lesions shrink which will cause more blood flow to get to the heart. Got it? 
All right. Now, we also have surgical options. We can bypass the blockage. What's the, what's the fun name for that? Cabbage. We can also do percutaneous coronary interventions, of which we have two. Percutaneous transluminal coronary angioplasty and stent. Um, people who do not agree with these things call these um, plastic surgery for the arteries. Because they say it does not affect the disease process and the patient's just going to end up right back where they, where they were within sometimes less than a month. And then we have some experimental things which we don't have to talk about those. All right, now, so we're moving now from acute or from stable angina and prinzmetal angina to acute coronary syndrome, sometimes known as ACS, which is the school I went to when I was in first grade. Unstable angina and myocardial infarction together are called Acute coronary syndrome. They are life-threatening and are considered medical emergencies. So, unstable angina is a reversible ischemia. Myocardial infarction, cell death has occurred and the recovery of those cells, not possible. So that's the difference between unstable angina and myocardial infarction. You could say that every single myocardial infarction starts out as unstable angina. So we're going to get the rupture of an unstable clot. That's going to form what we call the complicated lesions. Complicated lesions cause clots to form, and they will, res they will resolve over time, even without meds, if you survive. <laughs> So that's the thing. A person will get better on their own after a heart attack, as long as you can keep them alive. But what's the sacrifice for them staying alive? Tissue damage. Some of their cells will be damaged and possibly die. So in addition to keeping them alive, what else would we want to do? We would want to try and preserve their cells and keep them from dying. So those are the two goals of treatment during myocardial infarction. First one is keep the patient alive. And the second one is prevent cell damage. And what cells are we talking about? Heart cells. Now, the damage is going to depend on size of the clot and rate of what's dissolution what right so how it breaks up how it dissolves versus the rate of clot formation oh that's good yeah and if we don't if the clot grows bigger and stays around longer than expected that will lead to myocardial infarction all right, so here we have a little picture. I like pictures. So we start out with an atherosclerotic plaque. 
that plaque, if it's stable, will eventually lead to stable angina. If it's unstable, will cause acute coronary syndrome. Now, you have really two choices. If you just have a huge, super big clot, you can skip straight to sustained myocardial infarction. If it's not that big a clot, or it doesn't happen that fast, you could get transient ischemia. From here, the patient could spontaneously resolve and have no damage. That's what we'd like to have happen, right? But sometimes this transient ischemia, ischemia becomes sustained and that leads to tissue necrosis. How do we test for tissue necrosis of the heart? Okay, so CKMB and troponin, and what are those together called? Cardiac enzymes. And in the ER, they don't even call them cardiac enzymes, they just call them enzymes. Give me enzymes on that person. All right, now, the plaque rupture is causing a clot, thrombus occludes the vessel, myocardium becomes hypoxic, begins to shift to anaerobic respiration. How did we test for MIs in the old days before we had cardiac enzymes? We would be tested for a different enzyme. What enzyme was that? It was the enzyme, what, what's the waste product of this? Lactic acid. And what's the enzyme responsible for turning lactic acid back into glucose? Lactodehydrogenase, LDH. So in the old days, we used to actually test for anaerobic respiration. Nowadays, we have much better ways of testing. So the waste products are released and can cause hypoxic injury. Cardiac output is impaired. Now think about it for a moment. Let's imagine that you are a heart cell and you want to sing because that's what heart cells do when they're people. <laughs> but someone's grabbed your throat and is throttling you. What are you doing? That's kind of what happens to these heart cells. They want to contract. That's what they normally do, but they need energy to do it, right? They need oxygen. When they don't get oxygen, what do they start to do? They don't contract as well. And that causes lowered cardiac output. Now, do these two things look familiar? Yeah. Norepinephrine, epinephrine release, and renin release. Was this on a quiz recently? What do, what do these two things constitute? The body's normal response to decreased cardiac output. And usually those two things increase output and everything is normal. But in this case, what are they, what are they going to do? Why are they going to make the problem worse? So the heart is being damaged because it doesn't have enough oxygen. And now epinephrine and norepinephrine are going to tell the heart to beat harder and faster. And renin is going to cause vasoconstriction, which is going to make it harder to pump. So what we're going to do is we're going to make this damage worse. Um, kind of like uh, giving someone a nice paper cut and pouring lemon juice in it. 